Regarding the future, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Those four words are underlined in my Bible. I will come again. Count on it. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus told his followers that he was coming again. And his pronouncement may have raised more questions than answers. So what do we know about the second coming of Christ? What does the Bible tell us about the return of Jesus? Furthermore, when can we expect to see Jesus appearing in the clouds? Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll will answer these important questions as he begins the final message in his comprehensive 20-part series on Jesus. He titled message number 20, Watching for Jesus in the Air. First Corinthians 15 and First Thessalonians chapter 4 will be the two sections of Scripture that we're going to be reading from uh, in a few moments. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, okay? Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Isn't that a great line? Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and uh, we'll begin at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, now look at this divine order of events. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then... We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Isn't that grand? Isn't that a wonderful hope? Verse 18 says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. And I don't know of words that have done more to split churches than those words. They were never meant to be that. 
or words that have become so controversial when they were really written to be comforted or to comfort us in our grief. And surely those words mean a lot to many grieving today. You're listening to Insight for Living. To dig deeper into the Bible with Chuck Swindoll, be sure to download his Searching the Scriptures guide by going to insight.org studies. Chuck calls today's message, Watching for Jesus in the Air. There's something about uh, the coming of Christ that disturbs the lost, but comforts the saved. I've got a friend who didn't know the Lord and he was sort of running from him, I guess you'd say, before he came to Christ, and he decided to sort of hitchhike his way across America. He got about halfway, I forget, he was going from California all the way over to the East Coast, and he got about as far as Kansas, and he was picked up in a car by a rather unusual individual who had this sign plastered on the front of his glove box. In the event of Christ's return, this driver will disappear, and this car will self-destruct. You better get ready. G-I-T, get ready. He told me a little later he didn't know whether to write his will or pray or jump when he saw that sign on the dashboard of a car. I know there are a lot of funny signs written these days, a lot of bumper stickers, a lot of things you've, you've seen in the popular world regarding the, the future plan that God has for his people. Don't worry, that's just his reminder he's coming soon. That's, that's all that is. But regardless of what you may have read or what you may have heard or what you may have taught or what superstition you may have embraced regarding the future plan of God, you can always count on the Bible to shoot straight. It tells it like it is to people who need to hear the truth, whether they are ready for it, whether they want it, or whether they crave it. The Bible does not hedge. It doesn't speak in riddles, and it has a way of saying it so that you remember it. It's always relevant. Haven't you loved that about the Scriptures? You never turn to the Bible and think, well, that really has nothing to do with the way I'm living. That has nothing to do with our times. More often than not, you read this and you say, good night. That's like this happened this morning. Or this is as fresh as uh, this week's news. Believe me. The subject today is that fresh and is that vital because we all wonder about the future. We all wonder about what happens when my loved one dies. I mean, if, if they die and disintegrate in the grave and yet we're going to live in bodily form, how's that going to happen? Or If Jesus comes back for us and and he raises us, what about those that have died? And will we know each other? And will there be some kind of relationship with those who don't know Christ? And will there be some change of residence after death? Is there some way I can pray people from there to here or from this to that? The Bible answers questions like that. Now, it doesn't answer all of the imaginary details you may entertain, but it does answer the major questions. 
One of the main things I observe in the gospel writers is that we are to be ready. Over and over the writer, as he records the teachings of Jesus regarding the future, he tells us in red letters, be ready, be alert. You never know when he's going to come back. In fact, Jesus said to his own as they were around that, that table at the Last Supper, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my, in my Father's house are many places of residence. I know. The old King James handled that mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. And that got lost in the Greek text somewhere. It just never did say mansions, and I wish it did. It really says apartment houses. Not really. It just, it's a place to live, okay? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Check it for yourself. John 14, verse 3. Those four words are underlined in my Bible. I will come again. Now get this straight. He is either lying or he's going to do that. And there's everything within us that recoils with the thought of his lying to us. He won't do that. As I have come from heaven and dwelt on this earth, and I am going back to heaven to be with the Father, I will come again. Count on it. Now, he never gives us here or anywhere else in the scriptures a date. Okay? So watch out for date setters. Don't buy the books. Don't buy the pamphlets. Don't attend the conferences. Don't be a part of date-setting ministries. Okay? Because they're wrong. When I see a date set, it's the maverick in me, but I always want to write them the next day after the date they set and Christ hasn't come and asked, how you feeling today? How you doing? Books have been sold by the millions of people who were as wrong as they could be because they set dates. He will come again. He doesn't tell us when. He doesn't tell us when, but he tells us that he will. Now, my Bible is open to 1 Corinthians 15, which addresses our resurrection when we will be caught up with him in new kinds of bodies. And Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4 addresses the order of events in the process of our going from earth to heaven. So we read these two passages together to get a clear understanding but before we look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, beginning at verse 50, let me clarify two matters. First is death, and the other is destiny. Let me help erase a little bit of the mystery that shrouds death by giving you a synonym. It will help. Separation. Separation. At death... The invisible part of our being is separated from the visible. What is the invisible? Our souls, our spirits. 
that part of us that makes up our personality, that part of us where the Spirit of God dwells as we come to Christ. He takes up his residence inside our spirit. Our souls are those things that bring about our personality, our temperament, our, our inner being. That's why when you look at a corpse, you see no, we say there's no life there. There's no personality there because the invisible has separated from the visible. That's death. That's death. Now, destiny is another subject. At death, if a person has during his or her lifetime trusted in Christ alone by faith alone for eternal salvation, that person, when he or she dies, his spirit soul goes immediately to be with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body, that's the separation, that's death, is to be present with the Lord. But wait, the body doesn't. The soul does. The spirit goes to be with the Lord in conscious form, in a conscious state. We are taken from this earth immediately into the presence of the Lord, awaiting the resurrection. But what about the body? Well, it begins to decay, begins to disintegrate. It's only a matter of hours before putrefaction occurs and, and, the, and the marks of decay in a matter of months, it's, uh, it's grotesque. So the body is usually handled by a a mortician who embalms the body and places the body in a casket or if a person prefers a, a cremation and, and the body is, is placed in the ground. Dust you are and dust to dust you shall return. And it awaits its destiny. For those who have come to Christ during their lifetime, there is this instant wonderful moment we're going to be reading about when the Lord captures us up in the clouds to meet him in the air. The body is raised in a glorified state, changed instantly so that it is prepared to endure for eternity. The soul spirit joins the body at that point, and from then on there is the bodily presence with the Lord and with other saints throughout eternity. Isn't that a great hope? There's another subject that needs also to be addressed. If a person has lived without Christ and died apart from faith in Christ alone, that person faces a Christless eternity. The soul spirit goes immediately to a place called Hades or hell and it remains there until the ultimate resurrection of the lost when the person is placed into the lake of fire that was originally prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the destiny of the lost. There is no purgatory. There is no praying a person out of his or her eternal destiny that must be taken care of during time on earth, which gives the passion to preachers around the world to press people to a decision for Christ. Because there is no second chance. There is no afterthought where they realize what has happened and 
then come back and, and decide for Christ. In fact, uh, Scripture des describes this in Luke 16 as a great gulf fixed between the two destinies. It's an awesome thought. Our focus today, however, is for the believer who's still living on this earth and faces that most important event yet future. By the way, let me take away all doubt from my study of the scriptures and from the study of those under whom I have studied the scriptures. It is our conviction that the next event of the future is Christ coming in the clouds. Isn't that a great thought? Well, it's great if you're ready. It's great if you're on the edge of your seat looking forward to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 is addressed to believers. That's why the word brethren appears there. Now I say this, brethren, brothers and sisters, members of the family of God, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. What does that mean? It means our present bag of bones, our bodies, our aging bodies are not equipped to endure through eternity. Of course not. We do well to make it through 80, 90 years on this earth. Uh, some live into their 100, 105 or 10, and they have all kinds of ways to make us look like we're not getting older. Have you noticed that? Tummy tucks and facelifts and uh, all other things that I could mention. But listen to Florida Mary Thompson's story. She was thought to have been at least 120 years old before she died. 120. August 3rd, she died of a heart attack, according to this report from the Raleigh News and Observer. Mrs. Thompson could trace her life back to March 27, 1876. Great Scott. What was the key to her long life? One of her very close relatives answered, well, she ate well and she exercised and she continued to work in the yard till 105. Furthermore, she never smoked. She always carried a 22 in her bra. Now that, that's the way she uh, caused her life to last a long time. My wife loves it when I use that illustration. She just thinks that's wonderful. Now, long life is not a possibility. You can't go beyond 120, 130. It's over, friend. It's over. So in order for us to endure through eternity, we must be given an imperishable set of qualities or we will perish. We won't make it. So he says in verse 51, I'll tell you a mystery. I love the way he, he gets into it. It makes you move on the edge of your seat. Well, we got a mystery here. But this isn't like puzzling, uncertain ambiguity. This isn't that kind of mystery. This is a mysterion is the Greek word. We get our word mystery from it. It means that which is outside the range of unassisted apprehension. It's like our word secret. A secret isn't mysterious. It's just you don't know it till someone informs you. You need assisting in the information. And once you've been assisted, you see it. There are secret organizations and fraternities and sororities. And, and once you're into it, it's not puzzling. It's, it's clear. 
You just now understand the secret. That's the way this word should be read. Behold, I show you a secret. What is that? We shall not all sleep. The word sleep is used in the New Testament most often, not physical sleep, but death. When the believer dies, Scripture says we've fallen asleep in Christ. But he says here's the mystery or the secret. We won't all sleep. We won't all die. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That word moment is atomos. We get our word atom from it. It's the idea of an indivisible uh, a segment of time. Split second is our best word. We shall all be changed in a split second, in the flash of light across the eye, not the batting of an eye, but in the flash of light across the eye. It'll be that quick. At the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Now, remember what we've learned about it. Separation of soul, spirit from the body. So we're now raising the body from the grave. But in the process of being raised in that split second, the Lord will provide an imperishable quality of life to that body. Isn't that a great thought? You'll never age. You'll never show the marks of age. You and I, as believers, now caught up with the Lord, will have bodies that will last forever. I have the secret hope that we'll all be thinner also, but I don't have any biblical uh, support for that. I just hope for that. It will all be changed, <laughs> glorified in these imperishable qualities that will allow us to last forever. You want to know what, what you'll be like? Study the resurrected body of Christ. Seriously. He uh, was, was uh, seen by his uh, followers after he was raised, so we'll be seen. He ate, so we'll eat. Thank goodness, we'll eat. We'll, we'll enjoy a feast at the Lamb's Supper. Won't that be wonderful? Sitting there with Paul and Peter and, and, and the great saints of history. There'll be people there that you'll be surprised will be at that meal. And there'll be people surprised that you're there at that meal. It'll, it'll be a great, great reunion as believers together down through history back to the beginning of the church will be caught up there in a glorified state. What a grand hope. What an anticipation. We shall be changed. So we who are alive caught up and the dead caught up will all be changed. So we'll be in this ageless, timeless condition for eternity. Verse 53. Let me read it with 54. This perishable that's the current body, must put on the imperishable, that's the eternal. This mortal, that's the current, must put on immortality, that's future, that's the eternal body. And he now says, when this has happened, when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, when the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I love that. Swallowed up. Ooh. 
It's all gone. You and I in the Lord's presence will never ever have to fear the invasion of death. It comes as an uninvited guest into homes and hearts all around the world. Never will we be grieved over the loss of some dear friend or son or daughter or parent. Death is swallowed up in victory. Look how he puts it. He, he says, oh death, where is thy victory? Oh death, where is your sting? Paul didn't get that from Shakespeare. Shakespeare got that from Paul. That's Paul's line, straight from heaven. Death is swallowed up, the sting is gone, the jaws are locked open, and we'll forever be with him. Those are the promises that give us hope. And there's much more encouragement that Chuck Swindoll wants to share with us, so please keep listening. This is Insight for Living. Chuck titled today's message, Watching for Jesus in the Air. It's the very last message in the 20-part series that Chuck titled, Jesus, the Greatest Life of All. To learn more about this series or this ministry, visit us online at insightworld.org. By listening to Chuck's biography on Jesus, you'll be reminded that God truly understands our suffering. The Bible says Jesus is acquainted with our grief. He knows what it feels like to carry deep sorrow, even loneliness. It's comforting to anyone who's struggling right now. Not long ago, we received a touching note from a grateful listener who said, as a young mother, I lost a child who was only one year old. I didn't understand why God would let this happen to me. I began to search for answers and found insight for living on the radio. Thank you, Pastor Swindoll. I feel you're my lifeline to the Lord. I've given everything to him and I have faith that he will lead me. On behalf of this listener and countless others just like her, we want to thank all those who give generously to Insight for Living. We couldn't provide Chuck's teaching without your partnership. And as a result of your contributions, people are learning to rely on Jesus, the greatest life of all. To give a donation today, call us. If you're listening in the United States, call 800-772-8888 or go online to insight.org slash donate. I'm Bill Meyer. Join us next time when Chuck Swindoll continues to describe what he calls watching for Jesus in the air on Insight for Living. The preceding message, Watching for Jesus in the Air, was copyrighted in 1999 2000 and 2008, and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2008 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide. Duplication of copyrighted material for commercial use is strictly prohibited.